Welcome to University Hill, located on the campus of the University of British Columbia in beautiful Vancouver. Each week, we gather on the traditional, ancestral, and unceded territory of the Musqueam people. We worship, sing, pray, and engage with scripture as we seek to grow in faith and as followers of Jesus. We pray that this podcast of scripture passages and sermons preached will bless your own faith journey. And of course, you're always welcome to join us on Sunday morning. Check out uhill.net for a Zoom link and more information. Our readings this morning are from Psalm 138, as well as from the Gospel of Mark uh, 20 through 22 and 21 through 35. I give you thanks, O Lord, with my whole heart. Before the gods, I sing your praise. I bow down toward your holy temple and give thanks to your name for your steadfast love and your faithfulness. For you have exalted your name and your word above everything. On the day I called, you answered me. You increased my strength of soul. All the kings of the earth shall praise you, O Lord, for they have heard the words of your mouth. They shall sing of the ways of the Lord, for great is the glory of the Lord. For though the Lord is high, he regards the lowly, but the haughty he perceives from far away. Though I walk in the midst of trouble, you preserve me against the wrath of my enemies. You stretch out your hand and your right hand delivers me. The Lord will fulfill his purpose for me. Your steadfast love, O Lord, endures forever. Do not forsake the work of your hands. And from Mark. And the crowd came together again so that they could not even eat. When his family heard it, they went out to restrain him. For people were saying, he has gone out of his mind. And the scribes who came down from Jerusalem said, he has Beelzebul. And by the ruler of the demons, he casts out demons. Then his mother and brothers came and standing outside, they sent to him and called him. A crowd was sitting around him and they said to him, your mother and your brothers and sisters are outside asking for you. And he replied, who are my mother and my brothers? And looking at those who sat around him, he said, here are my mother and my brothers. Whoever does the will of God is my brother and sister and mother. This is the word of the Lord. Hear what the spirit is saying to the church. Thanks be to God. Uh, good morning. I, uh, that's a challenging text uh, that Daniel just read for us. Uh, for someone who claims uh, that we are his friends, uh, Jesus sure knows how to stir up trouble for us. As some of you know, I became a grandfather in late March, so my, my heart's been filled with all kinds of loving feelings toward the baby Emma, uh, toward my son, the new father, and all that he's to experience. Uh, Emma's mother, my other son who has nothing to do with the baby, but he gets all the benefit of my overflowing familial love. I've been uh, feeling nostalgic about being a young parent myself, uh, creating a family, growing up in my own birth family, just being part of this uh, ongoing family saga. So it's uh, it's a bit disconcerting that Jesus is so dismissive uh, about family. 
Uh, Jesus clearly did like children, but you don't get the sense that it's part of a family group. In fact, it's usually in contrast to the adults who are shuffled off to the margins. Uh, they, they just don't get it uh, while the children do. He repeated one of the Ten Commandments, honor your father and your mother a couple of times, but he also told the man who wanted to bury his father before following Jesus, let the dead bury the dead. Which in that culture and only to a slightly lesser degree in ours, I think was about the most dishonorable thing you could do to your parents, not to bury them with the honor due. And to the one who wanted to say goodbye to his family first before following Jesus, he says, no one who puts a hand to the plow but looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. For those who claim some kind of familial connection to Abraham, the great ancestor, Jesus dismissed that connection and claimed, not unlike he did for the family connections, that only those who acted as Abraham acted could be considered Abraham's descendants. And clearly those uh, claimants didn't. And Jesus' cousin, John the Baptist, was even more harsh when he said, God is able from these stones to raise up children to Abraham. Yeah, so much for coming from a strong family tree. And here, he doesn't not only, does, he, he not only doesn't listen to his mother and his siblings, but he directly and publicly disowns them. They are not his mother, sister, brother, others are. I, I don't know, maybe, uh, maybe at some point you had to disown your own family. Maybe someone in your family disowned you. Maybe some of your family thought that maybe you were crazy or were better off out of sight or, or possessed by some demon or other, alcohol or drugs or money or conspiracy theories or whatever, and needed to be kept out of harm's way. Maybe you watched helplessly while a child walked away from the family to join up with some other strange group, uh, strangers, weirdos, reprobates. Maybe your child's an addict. Maybe a parent is an addict. Or, or even if none of these things is you, maybe you can recognize and feel those, those feelings, the fears that any of these things might have been about the worst thing that might happen to you. We've experienced that all this week watching the family fall apart, being outside the family. If so, you might have a sense of what's at stake here in this text and how it shakes at the very foundations. Jesus isn't easy on family values. He wasn't easy on money or economic values either. This is the one who praised the poor widow who gave a penny over the rich man who gave much. This is the one who claimed a camel could go through the eye of a needle easier than a rich person could get into heaven, who criticized those who would save money for some unforeseen future, who praised sparrows rather than those who planned what to eat and drink the next day, who said you cannot serve both God and mammon, wealth. He threatened our sense of justice. Do not resist evil. If someone strikes you on the left cheek, offer them the right as well. Don't judge others. God causes the sun to shine on the good and the bad, the rain to fall on the just and the unjust. Pray for your enemies. More than that, love your enemies. In politics, he told Pilate, the Roman governor, about to sentence him to death, that 
that that governor had no power over him except that given by God. And what nation state can survive if it actually followed the one who while, who while dying said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Often in the gospels, he stood over and against the temple, against the Sabbath. That's like being over and against the church, over and against our church, against all that seems good and faithful, that which holds a nation and a people and a faith together. Seems that almost anywhere you look, Jesus came into this world as, as the disruptor of all that we hold special and sacred and, and really real. Came as a baby in a manger, in a barn, soon to be a refugee. He lived with nowhere to lay his head. He died as a criminal on a cross. He was, he was buried in a borrowed tomb. And then he utterly disrupted the most real thing we know. He defeated death and lives again. Not even death escaped being shaken at its very foundations. Jesus, Jesus violates our norms and our expectations. He, he interrupts our world. He is, as one theologian put it, the truest rebel entering human history with a divine disregard for its internal economies, disrupting it, in fact, at the deepest levels. Jesus did not come to improve or, or fix our lives. He, he came to shake them up at the core. All those things that we so tenaciously cling to, holding on for stability, for, for meaning, for direction, he, he challenged. All those things that we know, we know. He questions. He makes us question even our most assured certainties. He doesn't even allow us to think we really know who our mother is. He doesn't allow us to really know what death is or, or life for that matter, I guess. In, in our scriptures, those things that are treated by us as almost divine, as the really real, as the, as the foundations are called the principalities and powers. They are not God, but, but we treat them as if they were. They shape us. They control us. They make us see in this way and not in some other way. They shape our world. They, they are our world. We can often identify them because they are often summed up in a, a slogan or even a single word, things that don't, aren't really questioned because they seem so basic, things like, like democracy, free market, freedom, security, the nation, education, my rights, success, even mother, sister, brother, family. You can imagine many more. These aren't necessarily bad things in and of themselves, but when they are treated as if they were on the level of, of the gospel truth or, or timeless truth or, or the foundations of life, then the scriptures say they enslave us. We are bound to them. We think we're in control of them, but they are in control of us. Our job is to obey them and God help us if we do not. People do strange and scary things for them. People, people kill for such things. It would be 
it would be far easier if our enslavers were clearly as such, as, as obvious bad guys. And some of them are. Think of addictions, racism, militarism. But when, but, but when Jesus would not even call his mother his mother, then you start to get the feeling that it is certainly not quite that easy. When even family comes under fire, then you can't pretend that Jesus only came to get rid of the bad. He came, as John the Baptist said, to take the ax to the roots, to the very things that give us support. When Jesus came into our world, into our lives, into, into our deaths, he didn't come to make it all easier. When he came, he held up all we hold dear and even godly and shook it up. In the words of one of my favorite theologians, Karl Barth, it is evident that human order is here betrayed into the proximity of a final and supreme menace. It is evident that human order is here betrayed into the proximity of a final and supreme menace. I doubt there's many theologians, certainly none of us, who would usually think of Jesus as, as the supreme menace. Let me try a few other words. I, I earlier called Jesus a disruptor. I didn't want to just repeat that description, so I looked in the, in the thesaurus for some other words for, for, that are like disruptor. So try these for Jesus, uh, fomenter, malcontent, provocateur, incendiary, firebrand, dissident, art, uh, anarchist, instigator, rabble rouser, or, or my favorite, just plain troublemaker. When Jesus shows up, we are all in trouble, holy trouble. All our certainties are held to the light of his truth. Many, uh, perhaps most, maybe all, are found wanting. He might seem crazy. He may look like he's possessed. But if we dwell in that light and let it shine, it reveals so much of our taken-for-granted life as crazy. And so many of those almost gods we follow as demonic. Jesus rouses the rabble because we rabble are so willing to live our lives following things that look like gods to us, but are not. In a way, Jesus in his life and witness and example was telling us again and again to obey the first commandment. You shall have no other gods before me. Even, even good things, if they're followed as gods, are, are idols. They enslave. They cripple. They diminish the fullness of life God intends. They can even engender evil. How many people have killed for, for, for good causes? What war hasn't been fought for a, for a good cause? You don't need to worship the devil to end up doing evil. You may only have to worship the good. My, uh, <clears throat> my birth family did not worship the family. But we felt we were pretty darn close to perfect. Parents who married young, they stayed married, they're still married, uh, working hard to raise a family, four kids, two girls, two boys, perfect. Holidaying in Disneyland, uh, graduating from high school and then two from university, 
uh, married. Well, well, three of us got married. One sister didn't, just a little wrinkle, but a, an historically acceptable one. Uh, but then uh, divorce. Then one of the spouses came out of the closet, left the marriage and happily remarried in a gay marriage a few years later. A pregnant teenage daughter who kept and single-handedly raised her son. A grandson abused by his wife. Other marriages, other divorces, couples changing, new grandchildren added fully grown. Recently, a granddaughter who is now known as a grandson. I carefully watched my parents through it all. That's been hard. Even the now fairly common divorces were, were, were hard. They wondered, they debated, they cried, they, they shared some opinions. But uh, I'm glad they never worshipped family. They loved family. But they never worshipped family. There was always one over and above family for whom family was secondary. There was a limit to their love of the family. Jesus. They hung in. They loved. They were loved in return. They never let family or some idea of the family rule, which meant that family could continue to play its appropriate role, its rightful role, to serve as a faithful servant. They didn't set up a new image of a new kind of family that they would now serve. They served the one who shook up the family and continues to shake it up and will continue to shake it up. And in the shaking, create something new, new wine and new wineskins. They serve the one who has created and is creating over and over again, ever anew. Jesus continues to shake the foundations, put the ax to the root, disrupt, rabble-rouse, be, be a troublemaker, not just in families, but in economics, in our politics, in our social structures, in our education, in our human relationships, in our society, in our lives, wherever you look. The, uh, the one description of Jesus that my thesaurus suggested that, that, that half fits, but, but only half, is, is anarchist. Yes, the shaking of the foundations looks very much sometimes like anarchy. You can certainly feel that way when your footing is lost and the way is not laid out. But Jesus doesn't shake our world to destroy it. He shakes our foundations so we are not entrapped or ensnared, enslaved. He shakes the chains free so we are free. Free not to serve the false gods, the false certainties, the false structures and powers and principles of this world. Free to envision anew, free to strive in new and different ways to draw closer to thy kingdom come on earth as in heaven. And free to be shaken yet again and again and again. The Apostle Paul says things much differently than Jesus does usually, but, but those who first assembled the New Testament in the centuries after their deaths recognize that there's one holy word shaping them both. This is how Paul said it. For freedom, Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. May it be so. 
雨。